Awesome. Thanks, Dan. You can take a seat. Yes, my shirt was hanging on for dear life this morning. You should have seen it. Tried to blame the gym, but it could also be probably the block of chocolate I had a day while we were away on holidays. So it's been awesome. Been away for two weeks. Um, first week, April had the bright idea to paint the house. Who believes that was a bad idea? Oh, mate, I thought painting was all about rolling. You know, everyone loves to roll. No one told me about the cleaning and the prepping and the gooing or whatever that's called, silicon stuff, all that business, and then the cutting in. Who has a skill at cutting in? Okay, it's good. I know that now. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sure that there'll be another opportunity for you to help me in the future. Um, so that was a great week then. Um, went to Canberra um, la, uh, in the middle of the holidays to speak at the Holy Spirit conference up there. You were blessed. You should have seen the, in, the introduction they gave me. It was incredible. I was like, oh, I wonder who's speaking. Oh, no, wait. So that was great. Um, was up there for um, two days uh, and then came home and went camping. Went to Anglesey. Who knows the Lord blesses camping. That's great. I tell you what, uh, Pastor Nick doesn't believe that. He goes to me, are you going on holidays? Are you going to be, uh, you know, relaxed and taking time to recuperate? Go on camping. And he's always like, I'm like, uh, for Pastor Nick, camping is three stars, but we'll all, we all know that. Five stars. Oh, sorry about that. So I had a great time away, but I did miss um, the church. I missed you guys like, quite a bit. It's uh, funny uh, when um, your world rev- revolves around wanting to serve people and wanting to, to, to be in the house. You know, I truly feel blessed to be here. And I feel blessed because of the others in my community. And you are my community. You know, I, I pray that every person that comes in to this community, comes into this house because of this house and because of this community, feel better equipped to be an influence in their world. And in their world means influencing what? It means influencing other people. And two weeks ago, Pastor Nick uh, preached a message, as it has been spoken about already, about pastoring your own. That's been on his heart for quite a period of time. But, but what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we actually want to revisit that a few times to talk about the focus of others uh, around the concept of uh, living outside of your world. Focusing on other people. So my goal this morning is you as the listener when I bring uh, this talk, uh, I want you to think about what effect your life is having on others. I want you to understand that your life is actually about influencing others. And I also want you to think about who you are actually influencing. So these are the questions that I've based this talk on. But I want to start with a series of things that I think every person at some stage in their life asks and thinks about. Why are we here? What am I here for? How am I to be used? It's very ringy up here, Ollie. God, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to be? I even ask questions of God as, why does my heart break when I see certain things? These are the questions that I think a person is a reflection of how they answer them. 
I think that when you ask these questions about yourself and ask these questions to yourself, the way that you answer them is actually a reflection of who you are. What am I here for? When I asked myself that question as a young man, I felt God say to me, you're here to help people. So then because I felt that that was the answer to my question, I chose to go into nursing because I knew that that was an opportunity to help people. There are other people that may reflect when they ask those questions of themselves and think, well, I want to affect the business world, so they go into business. Or I want to create homes for people that they can be proud of, so they go into building. When they ask these questions, you end up being a reflection of how you've answered the questions you've asked of yourself. So if you're a reflection of the questions you ask yourself, the first question I ask you this morning is who are you helping in your world right now? So normally at the start of every sermon, I like to talk about myself. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but it's true. But, but because the reason I do that is because I believe it helps you to get into my world. I believe what, what it does is it sets a platform with an illustration where you can come into my thought process and in, into my world and then we can go on a journey and, and have a conversation together about something I believe God has put in my heart to talk about. But this morning, uh, the character from the Bible that I want to talk about, I actually want to set the platform using his story. One thing you guys should realize is that your testimony can be and can be one of your greatest tools. So I want to talk about Joseph. And what we're going to do is we're going to land in Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. But I'll give you the build-up of his life. Now, we all know Joseph. What an incredible man of integrity. What an incredible story. But what I want to talk about with his story is this fact. Other people play a major role in it. You know, I think about it. uh, Everybody in this church has heard uh, the story about how Ben came to this church. I called him and asked him. Everybody knows the story about how I came to the church. Nick called me and asked me. Everybody knows about how Pastor Nick came to this church. Pastor Joseph Bose called him and asked him. But isn't it funny how my journey had been influenced by other people? So there's a young man who has his whole journey influenced by decisions of his brothers. Now, now let me explain. Joseph is born to a guy who's very old. In fact, he's 91 years old, estimated. His name is Jacob. His wife's name is Rachel uh, when Joseph is born. Now, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that Joseph's a miracle baby. It's amazing, you know, for a long period of time, they thought that Rachel was barren. We know this story, but they have a baby. It's Joseph. And man, does he get favor from his father. He's just absolutely blessed by his dad. His dad gives him the coat of many colours. And we know that what happens is there's this environment of jealousy that begins to be created amongst his brothers. Now, Joseph was brother 11 of 12 brothers. So there's this jealousy that's beginning to emerge because of the favouritism of their father. So to make matters worse, whenever the other brothers would do something wrong, Joseph was a snitch 
I was that person in my family. Does anybody else, was anybody else that person? I was like, I'm telling dad. I'm telling. He was that person, which didn't help the relationship with his brothers. Furthermore, all of a sudden he has a dream. He has this dream that all his brothers are, are going to bow down to him. And what, what does this do in, in the hierarchy of inheritance? He's one of the youngest brothers. This should not be the case in submission. You should be bowing to me, not vice versa. Further decreasing the quality of their relationship between Joseph and his brothers. So one day in a turn of events, they're off doing the wrong thing again, his brothers, and Joseph follows him. But this time, the brothers see that he's being followed. So they plot there and then, let's kill him, let's get it done. But instead of killing him, they decide what we'll do because of the suggestion of one of the brothers, let's put him in a pit and that way there won't be blood on our hands. And then what happens is Midianites come along. Now, these are traders. So what happens? They go, hey, a better idea. Let's sell him for 20 pieces of silver. So they get him out and they sell him. Imagine being sold by your brothers. Imagine the look on their faces and, and how he would have felt when he looked in their eyes as they were selling him a possession they did not even own into slavery not knowing whether he would ever live or ever die, but the stats were more so in the favour that they would never see him again and that he would die well before his time. But yet somehow Joseph, because of God, found favour with his father, but he sold to a man named Potiphar. Now Potiphar was head of Pharaoh's kitchen and for some reason, Joseph found favour with him. So he ends up making him his personal attendant. This is all the story through Genesis. And he makes him his personal attendant and ends up running his whole household. Potiphar has got an easy life. He doesn't have to do anything. Joseph's running everything. But the problem is Potiphar's wife starts getting a little bit of a crush going on Joseph. Eventually, she tries to create a rendezvous, which he runs from. And because of that, he's falsely accused of uh, sexual assault or attempted rape or whatever you want to call it. Because of this, Potiphar in his rage throws him into jail. So isn't it funny how he finds favour, then someone betrays him. Finds favour with his father, he's betrayed by his brothers. Finds favour with Potiphar, betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He's done nothing wrong, but yet his journey goes from favour to Drama, favour to pain. He ends up in the jail. Likeable Joseph somehow finds favour with the jailer, ends up running the place again. Now getting almost to our place in the story now, what happens is he meets, we know, a butler and a baker. They both have these dreams, these crazy dreams. But what we've realised by now is Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams. God tells him what it's about. So one in particular, the butler, he says to him, in three days, you're going to be restored to your position as Pharaoh's butler. Remember me, favour. And guess what happens? He's betrayed, he's forgotten about. Two years he waits. Two years. Very interesting that, that among scholars, they believe that Joseph was around the age of 30 of maturity when he stands before Pharaoh. Because what happens is eventually Pharaoh has a dream. The butler goes, hey, I know a guy that can interpret those dreams. They end up getting Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream that there's going to be this big famine uh, in, in Pharaoh's land. So what you need to do is in the seven years where the crops are going to be awesome, let's store stuff up. 
And then there's going to be seven years of, of famine. So this is the advice I give you. Pharaoh was so happy with his advice, he makes him prime minister. The famine hits the land. And this is where uh, we, we hit at our point in the story. His brothers come back to get food. We know it. Uh, as the story goes on, he ends up being restored to his father and to his brothers. They come to live with him and then his father dies. Now, his father has died after being restored. He was an old man. That was okay, but his brothers begin to worry. They're like, oh, now that Jacob's gone, is Joseph, he's, maybe he's held a, held a grudge against us. Uh, what's he going to do? So that's where we pick it up in Genesis 50. But there's a few things that I want to talk to you first that I glean from Joseph's life that then I'm going to bring into play later when we bring our focus on to others. The first thing is this. Faith is the greatest influence on your attitude. Faith is the greatest influence. Never once through the story as you read it in Scripture do you see Joseph with an attitude that he feels that God has abandoned him. Never do you see him mad or upset with God. Here's the interesting thing. You know that his attitude had to be A-OK because he kept finding favour. He didn't get in Potiphar's house and sit there and sulk. He obviously got to work and that's how he found favour. When he ends up in jail, he obviously didn't sit there and sulk. His attitude must have been on point because somehow he ends up running the joint again. People that fall into leadership are people that don't do nothing. They do something. He had the right attitude. But how can you keep the right attitude if you are portrayed time after time after time? It's because you have faith that there's something greater going on and someone greater has his hand on your life. Faith is the greatest influence on your attitude. No matter what struggle I may go through in life, and I may not handle it the best, in my case, I don't know how I'd go. I will always know this, that my God is for me. And therefore, I can keep my attitude in check. But the second thing is this, is that attitude is the greatest influence on your perspective. If you have a positive attitude about something, more than likely your attitude is going to glean towards a positive outlook on that situation. His perspective was this, whatever God reveals to me, I will speak it and whatever situation I am in, I will honour him. His perspective was that he would always honour God. But your perspective determines an inward or outward perspective. You see, at the end of the day, in verse 50, what we're about to read is he said, God put me through all these things so that I could save many lives. He pretty much said, God put me through a whole lot of pain so that a whole lot of people didn't have to. His focus was not on himself, but what God used him to do for others, for other people. So when your faith, your attitude and your perspective It should highlight that God uses your journey to reach other people. So let's turn to Genesis, verses 50, 15 to 21, and it reads, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? 
So they sent a word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants of God, of the God of your fathers. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and then he added and spoke kindly to them. Oh. Okay, here's the interesting thing and three principles that I pull out of that little bit of scripture when it comes to others. Here's the first thing that you need to realize is that if you want to influence the world around you, if you want to have a heart that is for others, is that you have to have the right heart. Here is a statement that I know that I've heard many, many times before. Has anybody ever heard the statement, hurting people hurt people? Is that correct? Now, does our Bible say to go out into the broken and hurting world and tell them about Jesus? It does. So that means that those people that are hurting, hurting people, eventually they're going to hurt you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to lie to you. They may even abandon you. But here is the example that God has given us in Scripture where Joseph had a right to be upset at his brothers. But he had the right heart. He forgave them. You see, here's the thing. I believe that this church needs to be full of hurting, broken people. I have to have the right heart to help them. If I ride them off after one bad experience, I will never have an influence on their lives. You see, because of his brothers, he was put into slavery. He was accused falsely of rape. He was put into jail. He was forgotten about. He had a right to say, I forgive you, but I'm not going to allow you back into my life because I choose to protect myself. Has anybody ever heard that before? I forgive you, but I don't know if I can trust you. That is not the way forgiveness works. There are going to be hurting people. I am not saying that you do not use wisdom. But what I am saying is that hurting people that are out there, if you want to have an influence on helping other people, you need to have a heart that is ready. You need to have a skin that is thick. So when the things come your way, you're able to keep fighting for people. Because it's about others. The very interesting thing when you look at that portion of Scripture is that they had admitted the wrongs that they have done and the sins that they had committed against God in the way that they had treated Him. But I love His heart. His heart is that He wept. You know, a heart of forgiveness, a heart of understanding. It had grieved Him at what they had done, but yet it says, you don't need to be afraid. Do you know, sometimes people that may come into our lives are afraid. So their actions are determined by the way they are feeling. And sometimes you need to say, I forgive you, don't be afraid. 
So this is the principle. What we go through should soften your heart for those that may wrong you, not make it harder. Must soften your heart. The second thing is you need to believe in the position God puts you in. I remember a few years ago, we uh, went to Jarvis Bay camping and it rained all week except for one day. That wasn't a great camping trip. But we went fishing. I've been fishing twice in my whole life. Who likes fishing? Who like, why? 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 It's seriously, come and paint walls with me. You can cut in. Watch them dry. Same thing. I'll let you hold a fishing rod. It'll be great. Be awesome. I'll even buy you a fish. So anyway, I went fishing twice. We went along this coast. I found my spot. I believed this was my spot. Threw the line out. This is my position. No one caught anything. All of a sudden, I feel this tug on my rod. I'm like calling everybody, not looking as I'm bringing up. I turn around and it's a snake. And I panic, so I grab, I slam it on a rock. (laughs) It turns out it was an eel. I didn't even catch the eel. I somehow fluked and hooked it through the eye. So we got rid of the eel. But I didn't want to move because I'm like, hey, you've caught nothing. I caught something. Caught a snake eel thing in the eye. You catch a fish in the eye and come back to me. So I threw it out again. And all of these guys fishing continually, but I believed this was the spot. It was a little ledge. It was really cool because it sort of went out a little bit so I could see everybody and I still felt like I was hanging out with everybody even though no one. You don't talk when you go fishing either. Fish, I don't think can hear you talking. But anyway, so I throw it out and I catch a fish. And I felt like I had accomplished something and I said, that's good. I'm never doing that again. But the fact is, no one else caught a fish that day except for me. But I believed in the position that I was put in. I believe Joseph was fully aware that God had positioned him all through his life to prepare him to save the modern world. Because it says here in verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? It's a rhetorical question, meaning, am I not in the place of God? This is where God had predestined me to be at this point in my life. And if you reflect upon it, without Joseph being sold by his brothers, without him going to Potiphar's house, without him being put in jail, meeting the butler, he never would have made it before Pharaoh. They never would have stored the food. Then if the Canaanites had run out of food and Joseph had never been in a place of power, they all would have died. How can Joseph's family have survived if there was no food? And then that's the lineage where Jesus came from. So if they had died, I'm sure God would have found another way. But the fact is God had positioned him to save his family. God had said, am I not in the place of God right now? You have to believe through frustration, through doubt, that God is positioning you to have an influence on your world. See, he says here, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish 
what is now being done. This is what you have to believe, that through it all, God will position you in the best situation to see you accomplish what he is calling you to do. And I know in this house, he's calling you to go and be an influence in the community we are in right now. He will equip you, he will skill you to accomplish what he calls you to do. Believe in the place where you're at right now. The third thing is that he had the right focus. You know, you hear stories often, which break my heart, of the child that doesn't have the great relationship with the father. And he says, hey, my dad always bought me stuff. You know, I remember one year he bought me a basketball ring and he bought me the shoes and he bought me the basketball and he bought me the jersey. But my dad, he never played basketball with me. You see, the focus of the father was that I want to provide and give my son good gifts. But the son was actually looking for time with the father. If you don't have the right focus, you can have the right intent but miss the opportunity. You have to have the right focus. Joseph, in this place, had realised that God was using him to save many lives. To have an influence on his world. So what I want you guys to think about when you begin to go, who is, is God asking me? Who can I affect? Who can I help in my world? Quickly take a check and make sure that your heart, your position and your focus is all in the right place so that God can begin to use you to influence someone else's journey. Whose journey are you helping? Ask yourself that question. Right now, does a name come to mind of a person that you're helping with no strings attached? Is there a person? I want to give you an example from Scripture of a person or of four people that did it. If we want to turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And this is what it reads. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do it, Because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, that is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my opinion. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up. 
what I want to focus on is verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Do you know that your faith in Jesus can influence someone else's journey? But sometimes you need to take a hold of their mat and you need to take a hold of it. You know what is very interesting is that you don't need to feel that you need to carry that person by yourself. Because God can bring other people into their life. But if you play your role, if you do something, if you let your faith actually move into some works. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men. They'll see your good works and glorify your Father. You see, when you take a hold of a mat for somebody and play your role and play your, your, your position, in helping them get to the foot of Jesus, that's where broken situations, situations that are unmovable, situations that are paralyzed can be changed. But your role is to take hold of it and get them to the foot and to the feet of Jesus. Their faith affected somebody else's journey. God empowers you by the Holy Spirit Gives you power to be a witness. Your faith can affect other people's journey. But what are you doing with your faith? What stretcher do you have your hand on? Dan, I might get you to come up. Why are we here? It's one of the questions I start, started with. Why are we here? We're a church. We're in Bandura. We've got a great building. But you are the church and I am the church. We are the church. So if you're in this house and you're part of this community, thank you. Let's serve God together. But one of the statements that we have in our house is this, that we believe that we are a church to see people restored, to see people raised up and to see people released. The church, that's... One of the vision statements that we hold. So if you're the church and I'm the church, that means this should be one of the vision statements that you hold for your life to see someone restored to God and His purpose. Whose stretcher have you got a hold of at the moment where you're attempting to see them restored to God and His purpose? What about another stretcher that you might have a hold of at the same time? And that stretcher is to see somebody raised up. Is there somebody there that you're mentoring? Is there somebody there you're trying to help resource? Is there somebody around that you've got a hold of them and you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to see you. I'm going to take some weight for you now until you learn to take that weight for yourself. What about released? Who, who are you seeing released? Who, who are you saying, I'm praying for you. I'm with you. Use my house. My house is available. Start a home group. Go for it. Do you know, part of releasing is this. Pastor Nick ha, ha, has trained me to say, part of releasing is creating ministry opportunities. How do you release a person? Create a ministry opportunity. Do you want to know how we're attempting to release you at the church? Why don't you invite somebody to the fashion parade? We've worked so hard to create an opportunity for you to take a stretcher. Now, this stretcher doesn't mean that you come in and Nick and I are waiting with Bibles and we slap everybody on the head when they come in the door. What it means is the opportunity is to get them into a like-minded community of faith where they can be loved and encouraged. 
But you can't do it if you don't have a hold of a stretcher. Is there someone you're seeing restored? To get them to the feet of Jesus where He can do the work, but you get to play a role. Seeing someone raised up. Who are you encouraging? Who are you getting behind? And to see someone released. Do you know a very interesting moment happened to me on Friday night? God actually did a work in in my heart in a situation I never saw coming. And I want to share it with you because I believe that one of the reasons was because God wanted to break my heart for others. I went to Ozkick with Jai Boy, my man. Girls want to do dancing. Jai Boy wants to play football. I'm sort of an in-between, but hey, I like a non-contact sport, but that's cool. I'll talk him out of it later. But anyway, we're at Ozkick. And his mate, he only knew one guy, was busy with some other guys. So Jai was sort of left alone. And then they began to run and he didn't know what to do. And he sort of looked, so he ran and was looking helpless. And then his face had gone all red and my heart's beginning to break. I'm like, he feels alone. There's no one with him. He needs a friend. And then he'd run back and I could see him getting anxious. And it was breaking my heart because it was my boy. I'm like, I'll kick the football with us. Go home, you know. But my heart was breaking because my son wasn't able to connect with the community. Until another young kid with a ball needed someone to kick the ball to. And as soon as that happened, he was able to settle his little heart. And I was able to breathe. I was like, because <gasps> it was killing me because it was my son. And I wanted to actively get in there. April felt the same. And we wanted to take over the situation because it was my son. But what he needed was not me. He needed somebody in the community to connect with him. As I drove home, I said to God, why did that grieve me? Why did that hurt me so much? I was like, oh, it was a pain that was almost unbearable for me to watch and it wasn't even that bad. But it was the love that I have for Jai that messed me up. Here's the thing. There are people in our community right now running around with a red face, not knowing what's going on, looking for somebody, the church, you, an individual, to be in community with them so that they can be restored to God and His purpose and be settled in a reassured eternity. And when I saw that, and as I was talking to God on the way home, I made a decision in my heart, I will never, to the best of my knowledge, not try and help a person that is in that situation. There's nothing worse than feeling disconnected. There's nothing worse then feeling like you're not comfortable because there's no one to be in community with. But here's the thing. You will miss those opportunities if you don't take the gauge off yourself and onto others. It has to be about others. Do you know the way I felt about my son, God feels about you and about the people in the community. 
that might not know him. I love what Steph Curry said. Uh, He's a basketball player on uh, Good Friday. He said, Jesus died for you knowing you may never love him. That is true love. Those people that are out there that are lonely, that are lost and that are broken and that we have been empowered to witness to, Jesus loves and is hurting that they are hurting. How can we be a church that begins to see those people restored? Is to think about others. Because this is what I know. Jesus is the answer. You guys on a stand, let's pray.